Episode 2 of The Art of Bridging, a podcast from the Distant Voices Project. Hosted by arts organisation Vox Liminis and in partnership with three Scottish universities, we've spent over five years learning about coming home from prison through songwriting and shared creative practice. And this series of podcasts is a way for us to share some of what we've made and learned along the way. In episode one, we imagined that coming home from prison was a bit like crossing a river. With help from Fergus and Ian, we tried to map some of the currents in that river, some of the ways in which the criminal justice system makes it harder for people to re-enter society safely after they've done their time and paid their debts. Some people call this the second sentence. You know, you've got to learn to become a prisoner. How do you unlearn how to become a prisoner? You know, you're supposed to just come out and go on with it. Well, it might not be easy for some people. And certainly if, if they've got any mental health problems or addiction problems, that's just going to amplify anything that's going on. The media narrative would be that people reoffend because they're flawed or failed people. I would want to say it's not that. It's that the system produces reoffending because of the way that it harms people and makes worse problems that pre-existed imprisonment and therefore weakens and diminishes people's capacity to put together a life which is good for them and good for other people around them. Let's be honest, episode one painted a pretty bleak picture of some of the practical and emotional difficulties that people experience during and after prison. It's important to recognise and try to understand these. At the same time, there are so many people fighting to make things better. And now that we've set the scene, the rest of our series is going to have more of a focus on positive change, on the art of bridging. In the Distant Voices community, we have lots of perspectives and kinds of expertise. And with each episode, we want to welcome new bridge builders into the conversation. That includes people affected by the criminal justice system and people who work for change from within that system, as well as academics, musicians and community development practitioners. Although this is the end of our research project, we're not offering a fixed set of conclusions or findings. Rather, we're trying to shed light and sound on just how complex these questions are. Dialogue has been a major theme in Distant Voices, and we want to invite you to share your responses to what you hear. It's only episode two, and so far we've had fascinating responses from around the UK, other European countries, and from further afield like the US and even Australia. So please do get in touch and share your reflections. You can find us at distantvoices.org.uk. Today's episode is called The Stepping Stones. We're going to be listening to some songs together and thinking about the ways in which people resist the damage that prison causes during or after a sentence. We'll uncover small but significant expressions of protest or solidarity or humour or care or connection. These can act as stepping stones that help people to cross the river towards safe re-entry. 
So a big welcome to today's guests from the Distant Voices community. Today we've got Martin, Phil and Louis joining us. Hi guys. Hello. Hello. So we're going to kick off the way that we often kick off in a Vox session. And that is by asking you guys to tell us about a song that you're enjoying listening to at the moment. Um, well, there's a song I'm enjoying at the moment um, called Georgia by Vance Joy. Um, the streaming guy. He's done other songs I like as well, but that's my favourite one he is. She is something to behold. The song's in three parts. The first part is him talking about um, how much he loves his girlfriend and all that. And then the second part goes on to him explaining that he told, shared with him his mental health problems. And then I think she leaves him and then he blames himself for her leaving him because he shared the, the feelings with her. And then the third part is basically him remembering how it used to be like, what it used to be like for her to be with him. Sounds like quite an emotional tune, that one. Yes. I'm going to pick uh, Across the Universe by the Beatles because uh, I've been dipping the toe back into the Beatles back catalogue having not listened since I was a very young person and I've learned how to play it on the guitar and sometimes I try and play it to my young child to try and get him to sleep at night time and sometimes he joins in, which is very sweet. Like endless rain into a paper cup They slither wildly as they slip away Across the universe I think maybe having kids is when you go back to the Beatles. <laughs> Reset. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Phil, how about you? Well, my my Spotify playlist would tell you that all I listen to now is white noise because I also have a baby. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but... Um, I've also been playing um, Pressure Drop a lot by Toots and the Matals, which is mm -hmm. just amazing reggae track. Humming intro, and you're just like, oh yeah, now I'm relaxed. This is good. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. totally what you need in stressful mm -hmm. times. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> Have a little family groove. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Oh, yeah. Okay, well, let's kick off with our first tune. Um, we're going to listen to The Queen's Hotel by Emma and Ashley with Louis and Phil. Um, Phil, would you like to introduce this tune with Emma and Ashley's words? Um, sure. Uh, so they wrote, um, this is a summary of what being in prison can be like for some of us, but a bit of fun with the lyrics. We hope this can relate to other people in prison and also give people on the outside an insight into what prison life can be like. Louis from Vox helped us co-write it. We wanted our song The Queen's Hotel to have an upbeat melody with a catchy fast chorus and Louis helped us achieve this. Thanks to everyone at Vox who helped us and we hope this song will bring a smile to everyone's faces. Welcome to the Queen's Hotel Here's some rules to fit in well Follow these to the book 
Cause it could be used to rip you apart If we are happy or sad, you can never tell Cause for us it's fool, and for some it's hell Watch the penguins run for the riot bell Cause we're living it up in the Queen's Hotel We work all week for £11 The SPS think that sounds Feel like a slave till our lip day They don't want to hear what we've got to say We work for less than minimum wage Or we're locked like animals in a cage If we are happy or sad, you can never tell Cause for us it's home and for some it's hell Watch the penguins run for the riot bell Cause we're living it up in the Queen's Hotel They take our freedom but not our spirit We really look forward to that family visit 45 minutes flies by so fast All we want is for it to last When the penguins shout That time is done That's when we crumble And the tears come If we are happy or sad You can never tell Cause for us it's home And for some it's hell Watch the penguins run For the riot bell But we're living it all Don't take this seriously and get really mad Cause the Queen's Hotel ain't that bad Some days you want to give up and get real wavy But don't stress cause it's all gravy, baby tune that is um for those of you listening you are unfortunately not able to see all the amazing dance moves that we were all pulling out of the bag <laughs> during the listening to that tune um so louis and phil you were both part of the magic of creating this song could you tell us a little bit about uh, how it came about yeah so um emma and ashley were were best mates and um they wanted to write together which people don't always want to do um, and they had a really great little chemistry. 
prison was home for them. And thinking about sort of coming home after prison was actually something that was really painful because it seemed so impossible and, and so far off. So basically they wanted to make a song about the prison being home and like they had this vision from the start of it being played on the prison radio um, with the idea of like everyone dancing in their cells. And I thought this was really beautiful. It seemed like this gesture of, of care and um, solidarity with, with the other prisoners who they were unlikely to meet, you know. So we sat down um, together and um, I was... Uh, seeing if I could help them with some lyrics, which is something that I've done quite a lot on the project. And um, Emma shared all this amazing creative writing that she'd done, um, which was all sort of written out by hand. And as I started reading through it, uh, it, like a lot of it was about the prison culture and politics, and and it was obvious that she was really bright and and really angry about some stuff. And uh, actually, the Queen's Hotel comes out of this kind of traumatizing experience, which was that she'd um, she'd only just really started kind of uh, enjoying writing again because a few years ago when she'd been held in a different prison, she'd written this poem, sort of satirizing um, tabloid depictions of prison as a holiday camp, and she'd been really happy with it, and it had got printed, and because she was proud of it and happy with it, she used her real name, but unfortunately then. One of the officers that she didn't have a great relationship with um, decided to take the poem and shared it with a with a tabloid who decided to reprint like little phrases from the poem as if it wasn't a satire, but as if as if prison was exactly what she was satirizing that it was a holiday camp. And they also like printed details of her like offense that led to her being in prison and also like her picture and stuff. And she started to get all this hate mail from strangers, which you know really stopped her writing and writing had been like one of the ways that she really um was able to cope with with being in prison so writing queen's hotel was like kind of taking that impulse to sort of satire and kind of criticize the prison but turning it into something that was like made with her friend for the prisoners and just i think felt a lot sort of safer listening to it just there was the first time i've listened to it in many years and i was really struck listening to that in the way it was recorded, I remember being in that tiny little box room that we recorded it in. I loved hearing the other voices on that recording along alongside mine. I think that's something that that happens sometimes in the in the sessions we've done over the years, but but not all that often. So to hear their voices on the recording is really brilliant as well. Almost like it was an intentional production idea, but really what it was was one microphone in the room picking up the guitar and voices because essentially at that moment in sessions we're sort of recording demos of the songs so to hear that back with like these almost production sort of aesthetic things was really interesting i love how the song sort of maybe it's just how loud i was listening to it in my headphones here but i love how sort of almost distorted the song is by the end we are happy or sad you can never tell it's being sung with gusto and it's being sung with a, a message that they really were, they, they believed in. And yeah, there's kind of light-hearted lines in there, but there's also some real gut-wrenching lines when they talk about um, crumbling at the end of, at the end of visits. Mm. It's got so much kind of raucous energy, but like you say, there's kind of a mix of light and dark in it. It made me think, um, listening to it just now, made me think of Autopilot. 
we were talking about that in the last podcast uh, in episode one and talking about that sense of having to sort of almost protect your emotions by going into sort of autopilot mode and, and that line, if we're happy or sad, you can never tell. There's a connection there that I thought was interesting. Martin, what did you make of the song, uh, Having a Listen Where You Are? Um, it bubbled like a, a lot of memories for me, um, especially like stuff about the noise and um, the officers running to the right bell and all that. And even just like the stuff about wages, that stuff we always used to talk about as well. So yeah, a lot of it's fairly familiar. And plus obviously there's a lot of humour in it. And for us, there's a lot, we tended to try and make things as funny as we could. Even though we're in a shitty place, we still try to make the best thing. So, yeah, I think there's a yeah connect to it a lot. It's a it's a great example. I think this song of like um, what we're talking about the sort the stepping stones, you know, that help people to survive this really difficult experience. There's you know there's so much humour in there and that sense of connection um, from the sort of the vocals, you know, lots of people singing on it and that sort of thing. One of the things that we've been trying to understand in Distant Voices is how people sometimes take the opportunity to write a song as a way to resist that the pain and the damage that imprisonment causes. And I think this song's a really good example of that. Um, Phil, you've done a bit of work on this. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Um, sure. I think all of us, something that all of us sort of share on the project is a sense that songs are really powerful things but also a sense that they're maybe it's kind of um they're a bit kind of slippery and tricksy. It's quite hard to control their meaning, for example, um, and the use that they're put to once they're made. Like a really good example of this would be musicians opposing the use of their music by Donald Trump in his presidential campaign. So I really love the fact that George Harrison's estate denounced his use of uh, Here Comes the Sun, but they suggested that instead he could use uh, Beware of the Darkness if he wanted to use a Harrison song. <laughs> Anyway, so I was thinking about the power of music or what we might call the agency of the songs. So by agency, I mean their sort of power to do something. And I started to play around with this idea of songs as problem-solving devices. So um, in our context, the problem that we're thinking about is the kind of problems that punishment causes um, or can create for people once they get out of prison through social exclusion, separation from loved ones and, and, and alienation from oneself. So calling songs problem-solving devices is a bit tongue-in-cheek. So I just want to say that I, I don't mean that, that songs automatically are always problem-solving, but just that they have a potential to kind of help or, or make things happen that might be helpful. Um, I'm not trying to say that songs can solve the problem of imprisonment and punishment, but like you say, it might sort of um, help people resist or rework the pain that punishment causes them. So I did some analysis of the songs that we had made on the project and, and started thinking about two ways, two key ways that um, the songs might do some problem solving. Um, firstly, through mediating relationships with people inside and outside the prison and thereby trying to make homecoming a kind of more positive experience, perhaps through making an apology to loved ones or trying to reaffirm existing relationships. Or secondly, um, through using the sort of songwriting process as a way to create a narrative that makes helps them make kind of sense of difficult experiences either during their time in prison or before, um, and therefore kind of helps that person come to terms with where they're at. And again, that this might kind of aid their um, process in coming home. Yeah, I guess a, a sense of uh, people taking control of 
the stories that they tell and that are told about them, um, yeah. which is kind of the opposite of what you were talking about, what happened with the, the poem written by Emma. Yeah, totally. And I think there's power, but there's also like limitations. So other than the fact that they're talking about the prison and describing the prison, you can see the prison in the constraints that are in the song. So for example, there's lots of damage control. They're saying like, you know, don't worry, don't take this too seriously. It's just a bit of fun. There's a real fear behind that, that, you know, prison staff or governors might take offence um, to the song and not react mm. to it well, or that it might, you know, make life more difficult for them in the prison. There's also that fear that, like, outside audiences might sort of take the song in the wrong spirit. It would be quite dangerous to risk making that experience worse, you know, by making a song that can be seen as criticising that system. Yeah, so so most of the protest songs that we have on on the made in the project have that balance of light and dark as well, partly as a as a as a as a sort of protection, mm. like you were saying. Thanks for sharing that, Phil. It's really fascinating stuff. We're gonna move on and listen to another tune. Uh Martin, would you like to introduce this one for us? No, this is the Leap from a Noise. Basically it's about um a happy place in my life when I was really struggling. And obviously, why it was that happy place, and then it goes into like all the things that were going on to make me unhappy and all that, and obviously what what I was getting, all the struggles I was going through and stuff like that, and the kind of person I was, yeah, and it kind of explores what it was like to be me at that time, and obviously it wasn't really a a nice place. Eh?
What a beauty that one is. Martin, could you tell us a bit more about like where the song came from and what the writing process was like for you? Ross Clark was the person who um, wrote it with me and obviously I think the theme was um, about Happy Place. The song basically is <laughs> all about my happy place. And obviously I was in um, Castle Huntley. I think like, when we first started, it was like a bit strange because obviously I was working with somebody I'd never met before. But then uh, once we kind of got to know each other and shared our taste in music and stuff like that, then it became fairly easy. And for me, it was like the words were already there. I just needed to put them down. And Ross, he was fairly comfortable in coming up with a tune. Because we had shared a taste, he was able to know exactly what I was looking for. I think it's a great example of how songs can carry a lot of complex layers of meaning. And I guess that kind of multiplicity means that there are so many different ways that a song can land with a listener. Martin, could you tell us a bit about what it was like to go into the studio and record the song for release on a Distant Voices EP? After um, that initial time making that song, obviously I had any any idea that um, anything would happen. I thought, right, aye, that would be it done. That was it. And then obviously I was contacted to say, right, aye, would you like it today in America? And obviously that, to me it was the biggest surprise ever because I wasn't expecting anything to that. And then obviously I got invited to go to um, a studio and all that and be part of that process, which um, was something I never imagined was ever going to happen. Um, and obviously during the whole process of making it, I was able to hear um, a voice in it, which I, I never, never, I'm not much of a... <coughs> A speaker, so obviously yeah. So it was good, it was good to be involved in it, and even to hear like um, make suggestions, and obviously that, and obviously they added to to the song to make it even, I don't know, even me and my song, um, especially like some of the parts on it, like the saxophone, because I love the <laughs> I love the saxophone, um, and even like uh, I Claire, she ended up through my suggestion, she ended up singing um, a part of like the like I don't know what you call it, the duet part of the song, yeah. I should mention in here that most of the studio recording that's been done on the project has taken place at Glasgow's legendary Chem 19 studios, run by Paul and Jamie Savage and Emma Pollock. Chem has been a brilliant place to bring these songs to life, not only because Paul and Jamie are incredibly talented at the production side of things, but also because it has been a welcoming and creative environment to bring the co-writers of the songs into. I obviously love that song so much and I loved being on that session and seeing you guys make that song it was really exciting but I remember um being really struck by some of your thoughts around like tranquility and you said this like really interesting thing around silence and tranquility not being the same thing and it also it made me think about like prison as a really noisy environment and how you make how you find tranquility when silence is basically impossible that's making me think of uh, a couple of uh, occasions, Louis, where you've taken some of the noise from prison and made something beautiful out of it. Uh, do you want to tell us a wee bit about that? And you could also tell us a wee bit more about, uh, for anybody listening who would like to know more about how the whole process works of, of going into a prison and writing songs together. Yeah, OK, well, well, we'll start there then. So, so generally, these songwriting sessions or Vox sessions over the years have generally looked like a two or three day session where a team of maybe two or three musicians and a facilitator and often someone on the research side would come in as part of a team and work with maybe eight to ten participants on each session. Um, It was always a kind of opt-in thing that people signed up for. So generally working with folk who either wanted to be there or at least didn't want to not be there. (laughs) Um, Often working with people who had maybe never worked on anything musical before or even 
any kind of creative writing before. Day one is usually spent kind of getting to know each other a wee bit, so the musical team might share a song or two each, um, either from previous sessions um, and talk about them and the themes that are in them a little bit, or uh, an original song or sometimes um, a cover as well. Um, And they would usually pick songs that kind of relate to whatever the overall theme we'd sort of picked for that particular session would be, just to kind of plant that seed of this song might not sound like it's got anything to do with this particular subject, but actually it does. Um, Day two is is generally spent kind of working on on lyrics and sometimes musical stuff, um, kind of exploring the possibilities of what people might like to write about. Um, We share creative exercises uh, about things like song structure um, or writing exercises or rhyming schemes um, and just kind of break the back of the writing, so to speak, on that day. And then on day three, we kind of do the the finishing touches, add the music stuff, add the melodies and melodic stuff, instrumentation, stuff like that. And then we'll record, usually in a broom cupboard or like the song we heard earlier, Queen's Hotel was recorded in a tiny little kind of like a meeting room on the actual women's wing at Pullman, like two metre squared box room uh, with sort of no windows, no natural light, purple seats, if memory serves correct. Um, so kind of wherever we can find a space within the space we're working in to, to sort of find a little quieter corner and, and try and record a demo of the song. Um, to to jump off on some of the found sounds that you mentioned there in your question, um, the Queen's Hotel, again, I, I remember at the end of that first chorus, we hear a big crashing bang of a door being slammed, um, which will have been recorded on that session. We were right next to the big um, iron gates that, that slammed shut many, many times throughout the day. And yeah, because of the kind of shape and the space of that wing, for example, um, you do kind of hear everything, very sort of echoey, every, every rattle is kind of amplified. And yeah, a lot of those kind of little sounds have crept onto these demos over the years. Um, and some we've kind of used creatively to sort of make part of the song as opposed to trying to hide them or, or pretend they're not there. Um, we kind of use them and, and sort of affect them and, and reverse them. And one song from a from that same prison but a different session, we, we kind of used the, a, a prison officer screaming the name of one of the the participants and kind of put that into the song to be kind of part of a backbeat or something like that so yeah and and you know that sounds like a frivolous and kind of like creative thing that almost makes light of that situation but but when you're trying to record something quiet in that kind of space it's basically impossible um and so you just kind of have to embrace it a little bit and and it's easy to forget that that's trying to find tranquility in that kind of space must be extremely difficult trying to find a bit of quiet time so that you can kind of rest your mind from that must be really really tricky and so once we've recorded these demo versions of these songs what we tend to do at the end of day three is listen back to them together uh, as a group kind of unmixed and un- unmessed with but just just to hear where each of the songs have gotten to because usually by that point we've heard snippets of the songs throughout the day or over the days but we haven't heard the kind of final piece and that that is like easily my favorite part of of every session where we get to hear how the songs have turned out and share them together, um, everyone in the room. And, and if there has been any kind of slight reticence or maybe a, a kind of an unease at the start of a session, usually by day three, those those kind of barriers are broken down a little bit and you'll often find little bits of encouragement being passed around the room from folk who maybe didn't know each other a few days before. Um, and yeah, just a, a real kind of 
a real combined feeling of like, I don't know how we managed to do that, but we managed to do it. You know, whether that's people who didn't think they'd be able to finish a song or write a song when they signed up for it, uh, or whether that's the musicians going, how have we managed to write, uh, co-write like this many songs in, in a such a short space of time. It's that kind of combined feeling of like relief and taking a little bit of, I guess, like a, a bit of satisfaction out of something that you possibly didn't feel like you were you had in you kind of thing as martin says everyone's got a song in them okay so moving on a little bit the the distant voices project has had a core group helping to guide the research process and the core group is made up of lots of different people who have different connections with the criminal justice system and one of our research methods in the core group has been to create what we call trees. Um, and that is short for tiny research explorations and experiments, I think. Um, and this has been a way for us to kind of creatively process and react to what we've experienced through Distant Voices um, by responding in creative ways to songs or experiences or encounters. So one example of uh, one of the trees that's been created is that Phil has created a poetry collection. Um, I wonder, Phil, if you could tell us a little bit about this and maybe share a poem for us. Um, yeah, sure. So this collection is called Stir. And the poems came out of my time doing what we call ethnographic fieldwork in the prisons. So... That's really just a fancy way of saying spending time with people, listening, observing and taking notes about what you see. And the notes that I took turned into poems and that um, seemed to kind of happen naturally. Um, and the, this particular poem that I'm going to share is about doing a songwriting workshop with a group of women. And it's actually based on the same session that Queen's Hotel was written in. It's called Bowerbird 2. Tame, the robin might still be there visiting or red breast up under a running machine. The women don't use the gym, sat in trek suits coloured grey as pumice. Like their food, no water will be squeezed from these stones that smile shyly, some scatty as schoolgirls. Wrapped hands press out sort of free decoupage, tender attention to scenes of normal life, signs of struggle nonetheless. Loaves of bread are milled by the rain as they shiver on silver carts outside the hall, abandoned in a sudden shower. We inspect pale sandwich fillings that have been hastily spread, the contents restrained by cling film. Almost charmed by the glitter on the floor, a sprinkling, these chairs cannot be weaponized. We are singing in the broom cupboard, count the pens back into the bag and moisten the dust. Paper kittens, hearts and flowers, the bird is gone decked in decoupage or binned. I love that, Phil, and um, I think it's really evocative the way that uh, I guess people hang on to some sense of like uh, beauty or connection or relationship with the outside world in in ways that are very heavily restricted by what's possible to them at that moment. Yeah, and I think something also that was very important for me was just noticing the way that women in prison were spoken about um, as being like, oh, they're not interested in education or, oh, no, no, no one's going to want to come and do your session. They're not interested in art or making music and stuff. And I just thought, you know, that was so wrong, um, such a misrecognition of what was happening. Um, and this little moment of, of um, you know, hanging out with these women who were like, 
rummaging through, you know, the scissor-free decoupage because they're not allowed to have, you know, real scissors in case they're weaponized like the chairs. Um, yeah, this this to me was just this like little moment of, yeah, showing their their creativity and their engagement with the world that, you know, I was being told doesn't exist. We've reached that time in the podcast where we dig out a lesser known track from the Distant Voices archive and give it a wee airing. Today's song from the archive is a demo recorded at a Vox session in Inverness, a song that was later recorded at Chem for the Oblivion and Beyond EP. Having been quite used to the studio version, I was taken aback when I heard the demo. There's just a kind of lovely tenderness to it. We've invited a couple of guest listeners to reflect on the track, but first here's co-writer Claire to introduce it for us. Hi, my name is Claire McKay and I create music under the name Martha Fion. This song is called Satellite. I wrote it in Inverness at a community songwriting session with Tracy C. Here's what Tracy has to say about the song. This song was inspired by virtual visits at Action for Children and how they've made a bad situation better, being able to keep in contact with family members in prison. We chatted about feelings and emotions around the situation and did some free writing. Then we pulled out lines that we liked and started with the chorus. It's an emotional song, but not a sad song. It puts the meaning across, being able to keep in contact with family members in prison. I think a lot of that emotion found its way in. Tracy came and visited us a few months later in Glasgow to play Omnichord for the EP version of the track. Like Lucy, I have a soft spot for this demo version too, rough and ready as it is. It reminds me of our time at Action for Children, and also happens to feature the world-famous whistling skills of Mr C. Duncan.
Martin and the song that I listened to was Satellite. The song was sentimental about a mum, a mother missing her child and that's a strong bond but what it also made me think about was what what leads us to go into prison, what circumstances. Sometimes a prison sentence is just a repeat, a repeat, a repeat event. For some people it's a revolving door. So I think that as much as there are strong pulls and strong emotions and strong love between a mother and her child or between any prisoner and anybody that they love, it made this song made me think about why does someone end up in prison? And if there is circumstances that have to be addressed, then, then unless these circumstances are addressed, then we could find ourselves back in the same position again. Hello, I'm Pauline Wormsley and listening to the song made me think about the time when my children had left home. Um, some were travelling abroad, working away, but I wasn't able to see them and phone calls, etc., were pretty infrequent. So I could get a strong sense and felt a strong connection to the, the woman who was missing her son, finding life at home difficult without him. We are almost out of time, and in a moment I'm going to give the last word to Martin. Before that, all that remains for me to say is a huge thank you to all the voices on today's episode. Louis, Phil, Martin, Martin, Pauline and Claire. And to all the co-writers on the songs that we've heard. Emma, Ashley, Louis, Phil, Martin, Ross, Claire and Tracy. Our intro and outro tune this time was Rendezvous with Warpaint by Fruzy with Mark Rooney. Most of the songs that are featured on the podcast are available to buy on the Vox Luminous Bandcamp page or to stream in all of the usual places under Distant Voices. So today in The Art of Bridging, we've explored some of the stepping stones that people affected by the criminal justice system might lay down to survive a prison sentence and to help with re-entry after it. We think that laying stepping stones is part of the art of bridging. And laying stepping stones sends out ripples. So here's Martin with a final reflection on some of the ripples that his song has caused. It's kind of strange because even though at the time it may not look to me, afterwards I thought, right, aye, 
after time I'll, I'll kind of forget about it and I will not I won't hear the same meaning but to me every time I hear it I'm like right aye did I write that <laughs> um, and I did hearing other people uh, mention it and say like how they like it and certain stuff that's in it it just like makes me feel good about it and plus maybe they can um, empathise with some of the stuff going on, on in it the legacy for the song is basically I ended up being invited to come to uh, Unbound and then for the end I've almost been coming every week through that I've gotten to know a wide variety of people and all that. It's mean it means a great deal to me um, because I've been it before and I struggled with that. Um, and hearing this, I don't know, support network there kind of helps deal with stuff and all that. Place to go to chat, to hear, laugh, to, to listen to music and all that, and just the I don't know normal stuff. <laughs> yeah. 